Come on and give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. God is worthy. Come on, we're clapping for the King of kings and the Lord of lords this evening. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. You may be seated for just a moment. It's so good to be in the state of Mississippi with all of you wonderful saints of God. Give honor tonight to your district, district superintendent, uh, Pastor Porterfield, and all the district board. Give honor tonight to the host pastor, uh, Pastor Voskis and his family, as well as Bishop and Sister Wilson tonight. And um, all of you great men and women of God that fill this house this evening. I'm thankful to be traveling with my wife and my three youngest children. And we're just delighted and excited to be with you guys the next few evenings. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to turn to Acts, the 16th chapter. There's so many dignitaries here tonight. And we're honored that you are with us. I'm thankful they're our friends. Praise the Lord. Amen. And I'm thankful they took the time to be with us tonight. Acts, the 16th chapter, verse number 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into a prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, receiving such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. Look at your neighbor and say, everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm. Now we read about Jesus opening blinded eyes. We read about the lame walking. How many has ever heard your pastor preach about the Red Sea parting? manna falling from heaven but this here has to be one of the greatest miracles that when the doors flew open and everyone's bands were loosed all the prisoners were still there then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and says sirs what must I do to be saved Verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, saying praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. For a few minutes tonight, I want to minister on this subject. What are the prisoners hearing? What are the prisoners hearing? God, I love you, and I praise your mighty, wonderful name. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity, God, to be in this place. God, to worship you in spirit and in truth. I ask you, Jesus, tonight as we've united together, 
We have worshipped you in song that for the next few minutes, Lord, you would speak directly to our hearts. God, that you would direct us, Lord, and that you would inspire, God, and that you would touch hearts in this place this evening. And knowing, God, that you are the author and the finisher of our faith, I pray tonight, God, that you would move upon us. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. He's referred to in the beginning as Saul. Saul of Tarsus. When converted, his name was changed to Paul. Paul established churches. He attended three missionary journeys. He mentored young men in the gospel and fathered after God daily. This is just to mention a few of his ministry accomplishments. Paul may have spent as much as 25% of his time as a missionary in prison. We know of his brief lockup in Philippi, two years incarceration, and at least another two in Rome. Yet Paul says he experienced far more imprisonments than his opponents. Tonight, to understand Paul and the situation he was in in Acts, the scripture text we just read, we need to understand where he spent much of his time. Roman imprisonment was preceded by being stripped naked and then flogged. A humiliating, painful, and bloody ordeal. The bleeding wounds went untreated. Prisoners sat in painful leg or wrist change, mutilated. Blood-stained clothing was not replaced, even in the cold winter. In his final imprisonment, Paul asked for a cloak presumably because of the temperatures, the cold temperatures in the prison. Most cells were dark, especially the inner prison, like the one Paul and Silas inhabited in Philippi. Unbearable cold, lack of water, cramped quarters, and a sickening stench from few toilets made sleeping difficult and waking hours miserable. Male and female prisoners were sometimes incarcerated together, which led to sexual immorality and abuse. Prison food, when it was available, was poor. Most prisoners had to provide their own food from outside sources. When Paul was in prison, Felix gave orders to the centurion that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. Because of the miserable conditions, many prisoners begged for a speedy death, and others just simply committed suicide. The inner prison was a strongly built underground room in his prison house. It would have no window, no light, no fresh air, and no bathroom. Everybody say, no window, no light, no fresh air, no bathroom. You can count me out. I'm done already. In this inner prison, they placed them in stocks. According to archaeology, the stocks that they used in those days had a series of holes that got wider and wider. And the idea was to spread the legs of the individual as far as they could go in order to induce cramping. And then they would chain their wrists to the wall. I want to take just a minute and pause right here. Put ourselves, if we could, for just a few seconds in the sandals of Paul and Silas. How would we respond in this situation? A place that had no window, no light, no fresh air, and no bathroom. 
What is the worst circumstance that you have ever been in? Have you ever come close to what these two men experienced in the inner prison? They had been beaten. They were bleeding in great pain, put in stocks in a stinking dark prison. They weren't suffering because they did something wrong. They had just delivered a young girl, slave girl from a demon that brought gain to the men of the city. They were living obedient, holy lives and they were suffering. This is undeserved suffering. They were suffering for righteousness sake. If I was in Paul Silas's position, I might have said to Paul these words. Are you sure that the vision you had in Troas about a man in Macedonia was really from God? Does God really want us here where we're at? I thought God loved us. Is, is this love? I'm in an awful lot of pain right now, Paul. I can't see anything. I can smell a whole lot. I've got to use the restroom and my legs are spread just as wide as they can spread them. And I'm cramping and I don't know what I'm going to do. And my wrists are attached to the wall. Looks like we should have been headed in the opposite direction. But just because you are put in situations like Paul and Silas doesn't mean you didn't give your tithing last Sunday morning. It doesn't mean that you're living an unholy life. It doesn't mean that you're doing all things wrong. It could just be that somebody's in that prison that did things wrong. It, it could just be that somebody is watching your next move while your legs are cramping and while your wrists are, are chained to the wall and while there's no fresh air and no light, no restroom. There's a prisoner watching to see what you are going to do. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Man, it's great to walk in churches like we walked in tonight and the sound be just right and the singers be right on pitch and all the musicians sound like they came out of a studio and every pew is filled and everybody's here and there's hundreds of people. But whether you're here in this kind of setting or you walk in your church Sunday morning and there's only 20 of you. My question is, what are the prisoners going to hear whether you're here or whether you're there? Because a prisoner is not concerned what kind of knot you tied in your tie tonight. And a prisoner is not concerned whether you're wearing Johnson Mercy or Stacey Adams dress shoes. And a prisoner don't care how long your skirt is and how long your hair is. A prisoner wants to see how you're going to respond in situations that you were never meant to be put there in the beginning. Prisoners not looking for how skilled you are on a bass guitar. And a prisoner don't care if you can twirl your sticks and then hit a cymbal. A prisoner wants to know when your back's in pain and when you don't want to be where you're at, what will you do? What will you do? Are you going to patty cake? Are you going to moan and complain about the situation that you're in? Are you going to post it on Facebook? Or are you going to wake up and realize there's a reason why we're here and it's not because we did anything wrong. It's because God strategically put us in this pain for a reason. 
Some of the best soloist songs you'll sing is when you're going through trauma. Some of the best messages you'll preach is when you come out of pain. Some of the greatest worship you'll ever have is when you're in an inner prison. Because anybody can worship God when the house is full. But when you're through in a place where there's no light and there's no fresh air and there's no restroom, when we're the prisoners here, Prisoners don't care much about, and I'm not against any of this. We have all this at home and more. And, and any time, Brother uh, Nate Roberts II, that's my son-in-law, whenever he walks by with a media team, I grab my wallet. Because <laughs> I know they want something else. They want another screen or a bigger screen or more lights or more, another camera. And so we got all that. I'm not against any of it. But a prisoner doesn't care how large the screen is. Prisoner doesn't care what kind of soundboard you're running. Prisoner doesn't care whether you got LED lights in or what you got in. A prisoner doesn't care what kind of words throw up on the screen. A prisoner is here to see how people respond when they're walking through trauma in their own life. And I think we Pentecostals have got a lot of things down pat. I think we know how to have church. But I'm wondering for the younger generation, do we know how to worship when we're in pain? Do we know how to praise God when we can't see light at the end of the tunnel? Can we worship God when it's a stench all around us? When our arms are chained up, can we get... You don't leave it to the elders of worship. You're the one in the prison. God wants to hear you worship. God wants to hear you praise God. No doubts. How do they respond? No doubts. No questions. No complaints. They trusted God. They knew that God was sovereign even in their suffering. I'm sure they knew the story of Joseph and how God works all things together for the good of them that love him. Genesis 50 and 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good. To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. There are times in our life we must look past the pain, the hurt, despair, and disappointment. Look and see that even though we feel as if we are in an inner prison, God has me here for a purpose. No, I don't like it here, but there's a reason I'm here. Yes, it's painful here, but there's a reason I'm here. Why, God, did you allow me to be placed here? Just stop. Wait a minute. There's a reason why I am here. While I'm here, I refuse to allow the conditions of my situation to alter who I truly am. I am a child of the Most High God, born again, sanctified, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost. That is who I am. David, after watching the city burn, his wives were taken captive by the enemy. His army turned against him and sent to blame his way. David would write songs like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever I can't help that my car is not as new as yours if it gets me here I'm driving it here and when it blows up I'll walk or hitch a ride but I'm going to stay in the house of the Lord I can't help it that pain comes my way and trauma comes my way come Sunday morning I'm going to be right sitting where I've always sat and I'm going to have my hands up in the air magnifying a God who is great and greatly to be praised when it's all said and good he's good in the morning, he's good in the evening he's good in noonday he's good in the afternoon he's good all the time God is good At the end of the day, he's still good. When the sun's breaking over the horizon, he's still good. God is good. There are some of you in this place tonight that were saved. That were saved. Because of someone who praised the Lord, it felt like in the prison. October the 12th, 1986, I was 13 years old. Two weeks before this date, I'd watched my father put on a stretcher, picked up by an ambulance, and he headed to Duke University, Durham, North Carolina. For the next 10 days, they put him in a pressure chamber. He was 38 years old. I was 13. My two twin brothers were nine. My mother was 35. My dad had preached camp meetings. My dad had traveled in a Greyhound bus with a singing group. It went by the name of the Apostolic Echoes. I'd watched him lay hands on the sick and God would use him and they'd recovered. Never one time at the age of 13 did I thought that I received the news on the 12th of October that would totally change my life, my brother's lives, and my mother's life forever. The passing of our father, associate pastor of the church that I now am privileged to pastor, he was gone. Nobody across the nation could believe it. He was too young. He had so many years ahead of him. But God took him. And while he was rejoicing, my mother felt like she was in a dark place. She'd done nothing wrong. She had always been a submissive wife. She had went wherever daddy said to go. She had rode in that Greyhound bus. She had dresses in the back of that Greyhound bus that had got messed up from the smoke. She had all, I mean, she had stories to tell. She was so submissive. How could my mother, I thought at the age of 13 when my life began to turn for the worst, how could my mother jump back on a Hammond B3 organ the Sunday after we buried my father on Saturday and sing the songs and play that organ? I didn't understand it at the age of 13. It, it took me a few years later. How could I hear my mother still 
in the middle of the night in her and dad's bedroom crying out to God for help and calling my name and my brother's names in prayer. Why? Why, why, even, why even pray to a God that didn't answer? Why even pray to a God that would take our father? What did we do wrong? Where did we go wrong? It wasn't that anybody had done anything wrong. It was just there were some prisoners that needed to see somebody in pain be able to praise God. There's some of you in this building tonight, you only praise God in atmospheres like this. You only praise God when everybody else is running. There's some of you walked in here tonight in pain. You're waiting till the message is over. You're ready to hit the door and go home and start over on Thursday. But you're never going to be effective if you can't praise God in the pain of life. In the... You're never going to be effective. Yeah. Some folks give a credit to count meetings and national youth conventions, and I thank God for everything that mother sent us to. But I give credit to my mother who would not stop living for God in the prison. I thank God for a mother who wouldn't quit playing, who wouldn't quit praying, who wouldn't quit singing. And tonight she's got three sons in the ministry that's preaching the word of God because she refused to die in a stinking prison. There's a daddy in here that needs to run. There's a mama that needs to shout. There's somebody in this building tonight that needs to get a hold of where you're at and say, hey, there's somebody else's soul depending on my response. This can't always be about you because life is life. Not only is suffering normal for the Christian life, it's normal for any life. I've never heard this song, but I saw the lyrics a few days ago and I jotted them down. I want to share them with you. Actually, people write these songs and make money off of stuff like this. It is amazing to me. It's a country song. It's written by the gentleman's name is Adaro Worley, and it sounds like life to me. He said, I got a call last night from an old friend's wife. said, I hate to bother you. Now, this is really a song, verse number one. Johnny fell off the wagon. He's been gone all afternoon. I know my buddy, so I drove to Scully's and found him at the bar. I say, hey, man, what's going on? He said, I don't know where to start. Sarah's old car is about to fall apart, and the washer quit last week. We had to put Mama in a nursing home, and the baby's cutting teeth. I didn't get much work this week, and I got bills to pay. I said, I know you, ain't, you don't want to hear, hear what I got to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. And the chorus goes like this. It sounds like life to me. It ain't no fantasy. It's just a common case of everyday reality. Man, I know it's tough, but you got to toughen up. To hear you talk, you're caught up in some tragedy. But it sounds like life to me. If you're not careful, in the place that you're at from time to time, the devil will get you to think that God is done with you. That God is finished with you. But the writer of Philippians 4 and 4 reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. I'm going to tell you why it's so important for you to do what you're doing right now. Because there's a 13-year-old of a boy over here that lost his father. And he needs to see, is God still real? Has God just missed? Has God abandoned me?
this local church is a product. You've been led by example. Bishop and Sister Wilson and the loss of their son Patrick. I walked down the aisle on this side that evening. I was preaching in Blue Mountain. I did preach here the Wednesday before they lost Patrick. He had held my oldest daughter, Brianna, and played with her at the service. I walked down here when they were greeting people in their sorrow. And I will never forget what Brother Wilson said to me. When I shook his hand, he grabbed me and he said, You know what it feels like to lose a father? And now I know what it feels like to lose a son. There are great examples all through this house tonight of men and women that through the pain and suffering that they endured, they never stopped worshiping God. I'm feeling too bold right now. You just tell me to stop. I'm feeling too bold. Don't come in here talking about your light bill when you got a bishop and his wife over here that's been through so much. Don't come in here talking about this one's sick and that one had a high temperature. If people like that can praise God through their pain, what is our excuse? What is our excuse? What is our excuse? What's our excuse? Well, I'm going to wait till the musicians start playing. Then you're not concerned about what the prisoners are hearing. I'm going I'm to wait till things get right before I open my mouth. I'm going to wait till things get better. You're going to miss your opportunity of why God placed you where you're at. Because God's got you right where you're at. I know it's inconvenience. Nobody likes to be inconvenienced. Everybody's got to stop watching their car and when they order a happy meal, they start, they hit it. Make sure it's, it's under that one minute time frame. Because everybody don't, nobody wants to be inconvenienced. But God sometimes places you in places and he inconveniences you. I don't understand why I'm here. I don't understand what I'm doing and why I'm here and why I'm going through this. It's because there's people that strategically is all around you and God placed you in the middle of all of them because he had faith in you that he knew that you were going to do what you always did regardless of what you were walking through. And he knew that when you started doing what you were going to do that then prisoners were going to start hearing something more than just God is real. They were going to see a manifestation of how real God is. Inconvenience. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't want to be inconvenienced. Me neither. I was at home about 15, 16 years ago now. We were coming out of the prayer rooms. I was headed to the platform and I looked back and my wife was waving me. She's Beth is a very humble individual. She's behind the scenes. If you ask her to testify, she'll probably pass out. She's just very humble, don't want to be in the spotlight at all. And she was waving. I could see tears just flowing off her cheek. And I was like, well, what in the world has happened now? So I ran to the floor and she grabbed me by my shoulders and she said, God just spoke to me. Well, me being raised in this all of my life was, I believe God speaks to people. And I was like, well, thank God, honey. Isn't that wonderful? She said, don't you want to know what he said? And I said, yeah, I'd love to hear what he said. She said, he, he's give, called me to a ministry. And I said, well, praise God. That's wonderful. Well, what are we going to do? What, what, what do we need to get for you to, for us to be able to accommodate your ministry, honey? We're fitting to start church. I got to go. She said, God's called me in the prayer room in my spirit. He's called us to foster children. 
And I said, go back to the prayer room and pray again and make sure it was God. This is a true story. You're laughing. We had three biological at the time, and I can't even remember their ages. Don't, but we already had three children, beautiful children. Things were going well. Church was doing well. Everything was going well. And I said, go, 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 go again. <laughs> Seven times. <laughs> and she said, I, I heard it in my spirit. I heard it. He said, do it. And I said, okay. All right, we'll foster. So we started fostering. And we fostered for about nine years. And then they, uh, we picked up one young, young girl. And she was three days old from the hospital. And. And I don't have time to tell all the stories, but she was three days old in the hospital. And we brought her home and uh, through all of it, uh, she went back home at nine months. And then something happened in her family and her mother got sent off and her dad developed stomach cancer. And we took care of her father for a year and he passed away. But before he passed away, we baptized him in Jesus' name and he got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> an inconvenience though you're looking at me like I can't even imagine if you've never done it then you can't imagine I've been pushing a stroller dash you convention general conference for 26 years I did the figures on it the other day I had one one preacher he wasn't from Mississippi I had one preacher come to me and say something like this Hey, you're one of the you're one of the well-known names in Pentecost, and I was like, you, you, not me. He said, you know, you preach things and you go. He said, don't, don't you think that's going to hinder you? Don't you think having other people's kids? Aren't you tired of driving a minivan? Wouldn't you like to drive something else? And when he said that, everything changed for me in that ministry. And I thought, where have we gotten to? To where we can not be inconvenienced in any manner. We just want to show up and suck up all the blessings of God and blow up. But we don't want to pour out in a dark prison. The prisoners need to hear more than just the... the the stories of old. Oh, the prisoners need to hear more than just how bad the church is going. The prisoners need to hear more than you disagree with what the pastor preached on Sunday morning. The prisoners need to hear more than you're mad because you didn't get the solo spot. The prisoners need to hear the praises of God who has brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light, even in the pain of your suffering. Zoe Foster. Then we fostered. Then we ended up adopting our oldest, youngest oldest, Delilah. And then we kept fostering. And we picked up another little boy. We adopted him. He's Davin. Story for everyone. And then our youngest one just turned four. He's Mark. And about three years ago, four years ago, my wife got a phone call. And um, 
things were going good. She got a phone call from the head Department of Social Services. He said, we have a banquet every year. And she said, I'm aware we've been the last 10 or 12 years. He said, well, your husband was unanimously chosen to speak at our foster care and adoption banquet. She got off the phone. Look at your neighbor and said, I don't want to be inconvenienced. She got off the phone and she said, honey, you've been, you have been just selected unanimously by the Wilson County Board of Directors and DSS offices. They've unanimously said they want you to speak. And I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not going near that building no more. Every time we go near it, we end up with another kid. I'm not going back to that building ever again. I, you can call her right back now. We're not, I'm not going. She said, will you pray about it? And I said, no. I don't want to hear what God has to say about it. I'm not going. I've been in that dark place before. It's a stinking mess in there. I'm tired of my legs cramping up. I'm tired of my wrist being plugged to the wall. You might be tired of it, but God's getting results with you praising God in there. And God didn't save us just to come here three times a week and patty cake, patty cake. He wants to put us in places that the world don't want to go to. He wants to place us in places that denominational churches don't want to be in. He wants to put us there. You know, me being the man of God that I am. Tell my children, don't, don't talk back to your daddy. There'll be a bear eat you for the morning. I said, no, I'm not going to pray about it. And she gave me that look, and I went and prayed about it. <laughs> of course the Lord said, yes. How dumb could I be? He was opening up a door of opportunity for his kingdom to grow, even though it looked like a prison to me because it's out of my box. So I agreed to it. I agreed to it. So they called back again. I didn't have no window now. They called back again and they took away my light. They said, now, your husband's coming to speak, but we want to tell him what he's going to speak on. You're going to tell a preacher what he's going to talk about? She said, we want to give him the title for his message. I told my wife, I said, what do they think they are? Titled my sermon for that evening that they had given me was Defining Moments. They just didn't know what was about to happen. <laughs> they called the third time and it took away our restroom. They said, when you get done, we went online. We went online. And uh, we saw that your family sings and plays instruments. Would you bring your children with you? And could they sing a song at the end of your message? I thought, we're turning this thing into a church service. This is supposed to be a banquet. I knew what went on there. I told my kids, I said, we're going to do this banquet. I'm going to be quick. Y'all come in and sing your little song. Get out. Be gone. All right, y'all ready? We're going to pray about it, but I'm just, I'm just out of our box. I told them this is what was going to be happening. We walk in, and there are hundreds of people, probably five, 600 people sitting in that, in that hallway. They had designated tables. They, they marched me and my wife right to the head table. And they started introducing me to the, to the first precinct judge, to this lawyer and that lawyer and that lawyer and that lawyer and, and this one over here and that one over there. And here's our sheriff. 
Woodard and here's our mayor and all them folks that showed up and I thought they have got the wrong guy for this job. So we sat there. They went to the bar and they were drinking and they had a dance floor and they were dancing. They were high five and they were kissing one another on the cheek. The master ceremony was so loud when she got the mat, it was ear piercing. She'd tell you, shake, shake your neighbor, hug your neighbor, kiss your neighbor. It was a party. A big party. And then they introduced me. And I stood up and I talked about defining moments. I talked about the two placements that they put in our home of a three-year-old and her baby brother who was a year and a half. Her baby brother was placed in our home with a fractured skull. He had never been held. He had been placed in a car seat the first year and a half of his life. Never been held more than two or three times. He come to us with a fractured skull because the boyfriend of his mother threw a can of green beans and hit him across the head and fractured his skull. The three-year-old baby girl had been sexually molested at three at the age of three years old by the same boyfriend. I couldn't walk in the little girl's bedroom to kiss my daughter who was four at the time goodnight because she would literally try to climb the walls because of the abuse that had happened from a male figure in her life. I talked about those kids coming to us and I talked about how that before they left she was calling me in the bedroom saying daddy will you pray a prayer with me I want you to tuck me in I talked about how God healed that baby's scratchers right in the middle of a dark place you gotta do, don't do the only thing you know to do right in the middle of a dark place you gotta do just what you know to do They were still eating and they were drinking and they were partying and they were having a time. But I got to the day of Pentecost. I thought, God, if you sent me here, you sent me here with a message. And I got to the day of Pentecost. 120 were in the upper room. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And I talked about how they come out of the upper room speaking in a heavenly language. And when I got to that part, there was about four ladies about midway back that had evidently been raised in a church that had heard about the Holy Ghost, but they drifted away. And one by one, they started standing up, throwing their hands up, shouting, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I motioned for my kids to come on in and sing. And they sung a song. And when they were done singing and I laid down the mic, people were weeping all over that congregation. People were standing with their hands raised high to heaven. And that little lady who was so bubbly and so loud and was promoting a party, she walks up to the pulpit where I just walked away from and it's dead silence and you can hear people over here weeping and you can hear these ladies over here praying I mean they, they didn't ever think a prayer meet would break out and she stood up and took that mic and in a soft gentle voice she said some of you are wondering what has just taken place we didn't come tonight for this to happen but evidently God intended for it to happen because what you are feeling now is the precious Holy Ghost and the power of Jesus resurrection There's a revival going to break out in your dark place. There's a revival about to come forth in your dark place. Woo, hallelujah. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyhow. I don't feel like worshiping, but I'm going to do it anyhow. There's a revival about to come out of this jail cell. There's a revival about to come out of this dark place. There, there's something wonderful. 
hear you this. I walked down, but my jacket, my words were not eloquent. But God used a vessel just like he's using you. That lady that was just voted in was one of our District 1 court judges. She stood up, she shook my hand, tears in her eyes, and she said, if you never need anything, you just let me know. Some folks want favor, but they don't want to worship in their dark place. Some people want a true revival. They think the revival comes in a 40-foot fifth wheel with a man that gets out and preaches a series of services. Many of us miss our revival because we won't do what we've always done in the midst of our inner prison. I'm not here because I've done something wrong. I'm here because God placed me here. I'm not here because I've been a dirty, rotten scoundrel. I'm here because I'm a child of God. I'm not here because nobody else wants to be here. God's got faith in me, and he put me right here for such a time as this. Who can blame Paul and Silas for being fearful? Who can blame Paul and Silas for being confused? Who can blame Paul and Silas for getting bitter over what happened? But they didn't get bitter. They praised the Lord. They sung praises to God. And it made a difference. We can understand them praying. You may be seated. We can understand them praying. My Lord, I know all of us would pray in that situation. We can understand them praying. But do you understand them singing? Most anybody in that predicament would have been praying, Get me out of here. But Paul had been there so much, he just knew that God's got us here for a reason. Can I tell a man or a woman that's sitting in these seats tonight that right where you are, when you feel like God has forsaken you and you feel like the, your ministry is lost, God's got you right where you're at for a reason. I know it's painful, but God's got you there for a reason. I know you're not seeing much growth yet, but God's got you there for a reason. I know things aren't going your way quite yet, but God's got you there for a reason. I know you feel all wrapped up, tied up, but God's got you there for a reason. I know you feel like you don't have any vocals to sing anymore, but God's got you there for a reason. I know you may not have baptized nobody in the year 2023, but God's got you there for a reason. Don't you give up. Don't you throw in the towel. You pick it back up. Put it in your pocket and praise the Lord. Don't you dare. Most would pray if we were in that desperate situation. But they were singing and praying. How could they be singing at a time like this, far from depressed about this situation? They were full of thanksgiving. What could they possibly sing about? They knew that God was in control. He had not forsaken them. This is the flesh and blood demonstration of joy in adversity. Their joy was unaffected by their circumstances. Paul didn't just talk about joy. He experienced joy. It was late at night, midnight to be exact. All the candle or oil lights were out. It was therefore pitch black inside the prison, especially in the innermost part where Paul and Silas were kept maximum security and in that darkness, and in that pain, and in that cramping, and in that tied up, and that chained up. In all of that, the prisoners heard something. 
like they'd never heard in a prison before. They had never heard anyone praying and singing from an inner prison, from the worst of the worst. Some scholars believe that the inner prison, the reason they didn't have a bathroom was because all the other restrooms in the upper prison flowed to the inner prison. They were in the worst conditions of it all and in the darkness that was all around them. Paul didn't punch Silas and say, let's just quit. Let's just be done with it. I couldn't help but this afternoon as I walked around this building as well as it is at, at your home church, walked around this buildings, building after building after building. And how God has brought this church for many years through things just like He's brought you and your church family through. I look at the brickwork and I think of pioneers that I've heard about as a child and got to meet before they were passed off the scene, went to glory. I look at the brickwork of some brick that those hands may have touched, some wood that those hands may have nailed up. I look at the new construction of the beautiful sanctuary that Pastor Vasquez took me through this week and I just walked around the property and thought, what would have happened here if people would have quit singing and praying in the dark hours? I thought to myself as I hear about classes that your churches are putting on and I'm getting information to go home and do something about about recovery classes and about how you take someone who's on drugs and alcohol and you bring them into church and yes, they're baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost but you put them through a class and you connect them to people and they have somebody that can talk to them about it. There's folks sitting all through this building just because they're dressed up and they look the par doesn't mean they didn't have a life of shame. when the going got tough here in Potts County? What would have happened if the going got tough and Bishop J. Frank Wilson would have just give up? Probably his son wouldn't have been a bishop today. What would have happened if Bishop Wilson would have given up years ago when he was walking through one of the greatest trials of his life? Then there probably wouldn't have been a pastor be here today. What, what about all the souls that fill these pews on Wednesday and Sunday morning and Sunday night? What would have happened if in their pain and darkness they would have just threw in the towel? What would have happened, Brother Corey Porterfield, if your daddy in, in the pains of his life and in the trials of him and his, your mother's life, what in the dark places that they were walking through, what would have happened there if Brother Sister Cotrera would have just threw in the towel in the pain? What about Brother Bishop? What if he just said, I'm done with this. I'm tired of being falsely accused. I'm tired of walking through this pain. I'm tired of having bad news after bad news come my way. What would have happened if those district board members that pastor churches, when things come up in their life and situations come in their life, what would have happened? There wouldn't have been people sitting there on Sunday morning with having an opportunity to hear what we can show them and what they can hear. The prisoners have got to hear more than just how bad it is. They got to hear how good God is. They got to hear how great God is. How great God is. Musicians are coming. So what did they do? They prayed and they sang praises to God. And the prisoners heard them. 
this is one of the most fascinating stories I've ever read in the Bible. Of an earthquake come. Some believe the earthquake was sent for Paul and Silas, but I believe it was sent for the jailer and the prisoners. I believe God said, those men that I entrusted, I heard their prayer when they were casting that demonic spirit out of that young girl, and I knew what was going to follow, so I heard their prayer, and I answered, because he don't have to answer. I answered, and I knew it getting them through in the inner prison beat stops and bonds. I placed them there for a reason. And while they sung, and while they prayed, the earthquake came, and everyone's, Look at your neighbor and say, everybody's. Just let it sink in for a minute. Everybody's. Everybody's. Not just the person who was in the darkness, but everybody around them. Prison doors were open. Everyone's banned. I just wonder, I just wonder maybe what they would have been singing. What type of song they would have been singing in their pain. You know, some folks say, man, they, they got a real good praise and worship, upbeat song. That's good. That, you're probably right. But for the sake of my imagination, on this first night of count, they did. With their wrists chained to the wall. And their legs spread far apart, cramping. But the stench, unlike any other, no light, no wind, and no fresh air. At midnight, they prayed. It's real quiet. You hear the sounds of the night, the darkness. But then a voice, then a voice, then a voice begins to come out of prayer into singing. I'm not sure if it was slow, fast, or medium, but I just seem to think that it could have been something like this. Oh, I have bad days And I have hills to climb Then I have sad days And comes a weary mind But when I look around And think things all out all of the good days outweigh the bad days I can't complain through the darkness they might have heard God is so good to me He good to me more than this world could be how you feeling Paul how you, how you feeling Paul well he's so good to me what about you Paul 
How about it, silence? His spirit came to me and gave me victory. God is so good to me. God is so good to me. Man, I hear something. Silence, yeah. God is so good to me. You feeling it? Like we feel what I'm feeling, Paul? Yeah. God is so good to me. Don't you take somebody by the hand that you're comfortable with and bring a Paul or Silas with you. You may be grabbing the hand of a man or a woman or a teenager that's walking through a dark time. But when you let forth the praises of him that's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, not only will your bands be loosed, but people around you will be set free. There's something that's about to be birthed in this place tonight in a young man or a young woman. Something that's about to be birthed in this place tonight of prison doors that are about to swing open. Why? Why would they just stand there? Why, why would they just stand there and the prison doors flew open? Why would all the prisoners still be there? Because the presence of God in that prison was better than anything they ever felt outside of that prison. Prisoners around me hear how good you are. In the darkness of my despair, let the prisoners hear how you make a way where there seems to be no way. In the middle of all of it, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus. God, that your sweet and powerful spirit, Lord, Lord, would rest upon us. God, that you would touch us. God, that you'd hear the prayers of this congregation. That you'd hear the singing of this congregation. That's it. You got somebody with you, just begin to sing a song. They're about to sing a song. Just sing with them. Sing with them and watch what God does. Watch what God does. Watch what God does. He's not only going to bring you out, but some others are coming out with you. He's not only going to make a way for you, but He's waking a way for some others with you. Come on, prisoners, listen to what's going on. That's it, prisoners. There is a better life in Jesus Christ. My worst day in the church is better than my best day in the world. Oh, do you hear what He's saying? Can you hear Him singing? Oh, what a mighty God we serve.
your hands and let's praise Him right now. Praise is what we do. Oh, praise the Lord. My, my. What preaching? You won't go anywhere and hear any finer preaching than that. I'm telling you what the Lord is moving in here right now. Praise God. Listen, tomorrow night, all the ministers, make sure you are here at 6.30 tomorrow night. Tomorrow evening, 6.30. We're going to have a picture of all the ministers that are here. We're looking forward to a great time. There's fellowship to come. I don't want to extinguish worship. You just continue if you'd like. But if you like, just continue yourself as men. Give him praise one more time, all together. Lord Jesus, come on, praise him. God, you're so good to me. If it had 